Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast, and football things are happening on the University of South Carolina's campus. Earlier this week, on Monday, players started reporting, and they will continue to do so through the weekend before voluntary workouts start on June 8th. So for all the weirdness, for the fact that we're still still in quarantine, and the three of us are in all different locations again, and still, the football part of thing is starting to get back to normal we kind of teased that out a little bit last week, but now it's starting to feel even more like a reality because, again, players are getting back to campus, and we'll start to get updates and, and I'm sure hear from some of the, some more of the players, some more of the coaches in terms of how that early part of the procedure is going because players are being tested. Uh, my understanding is as soon as they get back on campus, but I will get Wes and Chris to go into a little more detail on what bringing players back to campus exactly looks like. Um, but uh, I want to start today with a little bit of recruiting because there's not a ton to get to. It will be mostly kind of off-season, training campy, workouty, hypothetical questiony kind of football talk today, which is fun. I think it will be a much, much uh, needed, much welcome actual football conversation. Um, but Wes, I do want to start today. You mentioned there are just a couple of tidbits on the recruiting trail that uh, you wanted to mention before we get into some of the other football talk today. So I will let you kick things off with that. Yeah, you know, I would say maybe just the biggest one, the one worth mentioning for me would be uh, George Wilson, who I, I think is a name for, for people to know, uh, sort of a, a pass rush, edge rush, buck prospect. Uh, you know, if you're talking about South Carolina's scheme, uh, recently came out with the top four, uh, South Carolina making the cut. And um, really someone, if you look at sort of how their board has has shifted, you know, either with their continual – evaluation process or with guys, you know, Zaire Patterson picking, um, you know, Clemson and stuff like that. I think George Wilson has sort of emerged as somebody to keep an eye on, um, is a uh, guy out of Virginia. We've seen South Carolina, uh, you know, land Bryce still out of Virginia earlier in the class and uh, actually are targeting a, a couple of other high-priority guys there as well. And uh, so, so George Wilson, someone I think is pretty high on South Carolina, um, Chris, I don't know if you have the top four right in front of you. I know South Carolina and Penn State are two of them and, and two schools that we've, um, at least I've heard, are, you know, are, are worth sort of keeping an eye on there. Uh, Chris, who were the other two that uh, made the top four? It's, uh, it's Arizona State and uh, North Carolina are the other two. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was Arizona State. And North, North Carolina sort of jumping in. They weren't in the top seven. Um, but had uh, had offered him, you know, after he had re- released his top seven. So um, three teams from the original top seven make the cut, and then North Carolina gets added in there as well. I think he's got a good relationship with their coaches too. Um, I think another example of Kyle Krantz, you know, if, if you want to go big picture a little bit with this news, uh, Kyle Krantz has really done a good job of digging in and building some relationships, I think, in – in his North Carolina and Virginia territories. And I think you're sort of seeing that pay off with a guy like George Wilson. 
um, who, uh, like I said, is really, a, I think, Chris emerged as a as a priority guy. Yeah, he's someone that, you know, like you said, Wes Krantz, you know, has he's really done some good work the past couple cycles, whether it's just um, building relationships with kids or last summer. You know, he had a lot of kids from that Virginia and that DMV area, particularly in Virginia. You know, he had a lot of them on campus last summer. Now, some of them are guys at South Carolina just for a variety of reasons it's not going to gain traction with. But he got a lot of them on campus, and that's that's really the key. How many guys can you get on campus early to come visit you and get in the game with? And So Wilson's a guy that he's been building a relationship with. And, you know, he, Wilson has spoken highly of, of Mike Peterson and Krantz, his area recruiter, and Peterson, who's his potential position coach, and a guy who's got some explosiveness and a guy that South Carolina, I think, gained a little traction with. And he falls into that category of, you know, again, when is he going to decide um, I think all that plays into it, you know, nowadays in terms of timing of just when he wants to make a decision. But I think South Carolina is certainly one of the programs that has uh, caught his eye, and that's evidenced by them being in that Final Four. I can't remember if we mentioned this on the podcast last week because I don't know if it happened. I don't remember when last week it, it happened, but worth pointing out um, and the implications of this, I, I guess, are sort of uncertain as everything has been during – this moratorium, this COVID-19 shutdown-induced moratorium, but the recruiting moratorium from college football, uh, I guess like as an edict from the NCAA, has been extended through the end of July. Now, uh, Chris, I I don't know what kind of a difference that makes because I I think teams were already going to start to – not that they aren't going to focus on the recruiting trail because you're 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 recruiting 24/7 365 is kind of how I understand it now but with teams bringing players back to campus and focusing more on the team that they actually have uh, does extending that moratorium to July 31st make a big difference to you No probably not I think really that was the expectation with how everything's gone <clears throat> I think we talked about this some last week and really many weeks here on the, on the pod is that uh you know, a lot of folks thought when this thing hit in March and 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 thing and recruiting got shut down that if it continued this way, that there was a strong possibility that we may not have in-person recruiting until later in the season. That's probably where it's going now. Maybe they say, maybe at the end of July, I'm, I'm sort of wrong, and they go, "Hey, you know, we're going to open it back up." But I think coaches, you know, in particular, were keen on the idea of if we're shutting down recruiting for the summer, let's just keep it that way for a while because they are getting their players back and it's a really unique time. They didn't have some schools didn't have any spring practice. Some like South Carolina had a little bit of it, a third of it. And and now everything's sort of accelerated trying to get back everybody on the right track. So if you add, Hey, now we got all these recruits wanting to come to campus for official visits. It makes it more difficult. Um, on top of that, you've got the whole figuring out the logistics of it, you know, just talking about the current situation, you know, is it safe to bring guys from, all sorts of different places. We hit on some of that last week, so that's another reason. The other thing to keep in mind is that there's already typically a one-month dead period built into the regular recruiting calendar from the end of June to the end of July. Um, that was put into place when they shifted around the recruiting rules and calendar a couple couple or a few years ago um, when they allowed spring and summer official visits, for instance. They added those a couple years ago. And they put in that new dead period at the end of summer to sort of give everybody a break. And so even though there hasn't been any in-person recruiting, I'm not surprised that it's stuck, you know, and that they've kept, you know, the dead period going for all those reasons. And I really don't think it's going to be significant right now because, number one, people are already used to that. Number two, you know, you got your team on campus. 
they'll just continue doing everything remotely. And again, for especially for South Carolina, it's all about getting guys on campus this season. I mean, that's really what's going to be key for them. Yeah, and I guess we'll get a little clearer picture of what the campus atmosphere looks like in the next couple of weeks once we have basically a full body of tests from players, from coaches, from medical staff and training staff, people that are getting back to campus that will, uh, I guess, give us a better idea of when it will be safe, if it will be safe, and uh, things like that. But from a little bit of recruiting and from George Wilson and the recruiting trail to South Carolina's current team and to Rod Wilson, new assistant coach who spoke with media for the first time via Zoom on Monday. Uh, Chris, we'll stick with you for this. What were your impressions of uh, Rod Wilson's initial comments? Well, I think uh, that's a loaded question. I mean, he, he's talked about a lot of different things, um, you know, whether it was some of the, the social justice stuff and how he's sort of helping his players um, to, you know, giving some thoughts on transitioning back to South Carolina, some of his background, talking about Mo Caba, you know, to sort of go to go in order on those. You know, uh, Rod Wilson, look, he is a really sharp guy, and um, everybody who knows him on a personal level, or, you know, a coaching level. We've said this before, and Wes has heard much of the same. I mean, they rave about the guy. He's just extremely intelligent. Um, and he's someone that I think is going to connect with players really well because, you know, he's a guy from South Carolina. He played high school ball at Cross, still knows a lot of people from this area and has a lot of connections. Um, he played in the SEC. He played at a high level in the NFL for several years. And, and he just captured a Super Bowl ring with the Kansas City Chiefs and coached under Andy Reid. And it's someone that a lot of people think is poised to move up, continue moving up in the profession. So I think, uh, you know, given all that, I think he's going to be a sounding board and build some really good relationships with players. So with some of the stuff going on with how some of the players feel, um, you know, whether they've said it behind the scenes or whether they've said it and then, you know, made their voices heard on social media. That's something he talked about a lot. And just, you know, hey, if the players have a voice, we want them to use it, and I'll be here for them. Um, and then, you know, just going back to the team, you know, I think he joked that he got here and a lot of the players knew the defense better than he did. You know, he this isn't a guy that's, you know, coached for Will Muschamp before. He's interviewed with him back in the day. It's obviously a sharp guy. going to pick some things up. But it's a transition for him, you know, going from, you know, he's been a linebacker's coach at Charleston Southern and he's played the position. He's very familiar with it, but just transitioning to that and then talking about some of the guys, you know, that they already have on campus. He seems pleased with what they have in the room and pleased with how Mo Cabas come, you know, along in his rehab. So thought it was interesting just both from an, an on field and off field perspective. There's so many variables to juggle. And you're right. I, I kind of did throw a loaded question at you there because of everything that's going on around the country and that's not even factoring in, at least most of the conversation this week, has not even been factoring in what COVID-19 has, has done to this country in terms of the shutdown, in terms of creating restlessness and you know anxiety and things like that within the general population. And I'll be very curious to hear you know, from the players what their response has been to all of this. And I imagine, and Wes, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to talk to anybody or, or just anybody close to the team, you know, inside the locker room, players themselves or, or anything like that, just about what it is like to come back. Because on the one hand, I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of how is it going to be handled? What if one of my teammate, one of my teammates has COVID-19? Um, you know, what are the socio-political conversations going to be like in the locker room? But on the other hand, I'm sure there's a sense of relief and an opportunity for a lot of these guys that are close and have been going to battle, you know, as they say, for the last couple of years. And, and to sort of get back to somewhere where they can focus on 
I don't want to say a, a distraction because I don't even know if we need to be distracted right now because a lot of the issues at hand are really important and, and need to be discussed and we don't necessarily need to distract ourselves from, but just to have something to kind of to unify a bunch of people, to unify a bunch of people on this football team that are from different backgrounds, um, you know, to, to come together and say, hey, you know, you're from this area, I'm from this area, you were, you know, you grew up poor, I grew up rich, I grew up rich, you grew up poor, whatever the case is. But we're going to get together, and we want to be Coast Carolina, and then we want to be East Carolina, and then we want to beat Missouri, and then we want to beat Kentucky, and then we want to beat Georgia or whoever's up next. Um, and again, not to mention that they're all—they've all been stuck at home. They've all been—you know—they haven't been able to practice. They haven't been able to—you know—work out like like they're used to doing. I, I imagine there's some sense of of relief and appreciation that they can get back to this environment that I think they all love. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I don't want to speak for the guys as far as. You know, their thoughts on what's going on in our country right now, you know, from a uh, social justice standpoint. But I, I will say, you know, I've, I've always thought that, um, you know, there was no better example or, or very few better examples you could probably find than the way that a team, as you said, can can sort of come together. And the fact that a team is from all different backgrounds and nationalities and races and um you know, political affiliations and uh, parts of the country. And like you said, uh, some some people may have money, some people may not, but just the ability for a team to, to come together in a locker room and, and even the ability for a team to, to fight and disagree, you know, but then still turn around and, uh, you know, have that guy's back, even if you, you may disagree on, a, you know, a particular issue or um, and, and sort of fight it out and, and then come to a, you know, a mutual understanding of respect and stuff like that, uh, I think has always been pretty special and, and something that I would imagine the guys are, are uh, you know, anxious to, to get back and be with their teammates and um, sort of find common ground and, and discuss a lot of the, the stuff that's going on in the world right now. You know, from a COVID standpoint, um, certainly the last maybe month or so, just from that perspective, I've talked to numerous people who, you know, are, are close to players that just were really, I think, at that point where they're frustrated with not, you know, being able to be around their teammates, frustrated with not being able to, you know, do what they love. I mean, football is really a, just a way of life for these guys because, yeah, you, you play, what, uh, 13, 14, 15 for lucky games a year, and, um, you know, the the vast majority of the rest of your time is preparing to be ready for for those moments so uh, throw in the fact that it was a disappointing season for South Carolina just from a, a sports standpoint and just the team you know camaraderie just being around your uh, you know your, your guys uh, I think there was some frustration but then some excitement about getting back and uh, you know actually getting back is, is there's a process to it um, I imagine some of the guys maybe feel like um, it's a little bit overkill. And then I imagine there's a lot of parents out there who are very, very thankful that the schools are, are going to such great lengths to make sure that this is safe for, for the guys to come back. I was actually watching uh, Shallow Sanders' uh, Instagram story, I guess it was yesterday, and he was he was actually doing the COVID test. I will say this, uh, sort of matches what I've heard about it. does not look like fun at all. But uh, yeah, like a, scrape uh, your brain a with a pair of tweezers, right? Yeah, yeah, a necessary <laughs> part of of all this, and 
to, to your point, I, I know I'm talking really long here, but like, is it, there's a lot to digest right now and a lot to, um, you know, th- th- we're not in a Twitter world right now. Is it, you know, it's, it's hard to express everything that's going on in 140 or 280 characters. You know, there, there's a lot of nuance to everything that's going on in the world right now from, from, from every, you know, from every standpoint, but uh, from, from a COVID standpoint, I think, um, like you said, what, what does it mean if a guy has it? Uh, we've already seen one was the Oklahoma State player mm-hmm. tested positive. As many people as we now know are more than likely asystematic. If you bring a hundred guys back into the program all at once, um, I mean, statistically, some, someone's going to have it. They probably don't even know it, but I imagine um, somebody from just about every team. My guess is, is probably going to test positive, right? Yeah, probably. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just a matter: is it asymptomatic? In which case, uh, you know, I don't know what the protocol is there because there are other guys on the team that maybe wouldn't be asymptomatic. So I guess you still have to quarantine them. But um, that's a, I don't know. I guess a more complicated issue. And I, and I imagine by the time the voluntary workouts start Monday, by the time the full team has reported. Because uh, I, I guess everybody's reporting. I don't know of anybody that's not reporting, and you can correct me if there, if there are people that are planning to not make it to campus uh, till later in the summer for one reason or another. But I imagine we will have heard about it. We just heard about Frank Martin, who found out in early May that he had COVID-19. Now, he's made a complete recovery. He did not have to be hospitalized. But we're going to hear these things, whether it's a coach, whether it's players. We're going to hear these things, and we're going to get an idea of what that protocol is like. Um, but in the meantime, Chris, uh, as we mentioned, players getting back to campus, I don't know what percentage is there right now, but we do know well, I just know this because I do a radio show with Eric Kimry on 107.5 The Game, that uh, Jordan Birch is on campus right now, which means he at least will be at South Carolina for this year. There, there's no chance that he's going to go to Georgia or LSU or Clemson or anywhere else. He is on campus. Uh, what reports have you heard from guys just sort of getting back, moving back in, and starting to think about football? Well, we haven't heard a lot so far because there hasn't been, not to dodge your question, but there hasn't been a lot of time. I mean, June 1st was the, you know, the first day that guys could start getting back in. Obviously, South Carolina's going to have some guys rolling in from, you know, the guys who did not enroll early from the 2020 class. Some of them, like Squandre Wright, for instance, will not be in in June, and we're still sort of gathering up some information on who's definitely on campus, who's definitely, you know, going to be waiting. But Birch is one of those guys. And, look, obviously, it's going to be a little bit challenging, um, you know, just with some of the stuff going on, it's going to be a little bit different. But right now, it's just it's sort of voluntary workouts right now. So it's players doing stuff on their own. Um, haven't been a lot of detailed reports yet. But they're just being a few days of guys being on campus and everything and beginning those. And I would imagine we'll we'll begin to hear a little bit more, you know, during the summer. And then once we get a better picture of, you know, the full team coming together and what that looks like as far as training camp and all that, obviously that'll all be later in the year. But, you know, Birch is someone that I think they have high expectations for it's going to be a you know there's a transition for anybody any freshman you go from high school ball to high level sec football you're playing against grown men you know but birch has a lot of athleticism and i think he's a guy that i expect we'll hear a lot about just in terms of while wow, this guy is a really high level athlete i think we're going to begin hearing a lot of that sooner than later sort of like we we heard with some of the newcomers you know back in january we heard a lot about marshawn lloyd and luke Doty for instance, um, and a lot of that had to do with just their mentality as well, but also some of the things they could do athletically. When we record this podcast, uh, I guess this time next week, we're recording this Wednesday morning, 
we will have had, I guess, a couple days of voluntary workouts. So, again, we may have a clearer picture in terms of what it looks like with everybody back on campus, you know, what exactly the workouts sort of look like. But from what, you, uh, from what you've gleaned at this point, Wes, just, you know, reports that we've gotten from the school and conversations you've had behind the scenes, we know there's going to be sort of a pod protocol. Um, and we know a little bit about what Paul Jackson wants to do with the guys, I think, philosophically in terms of his sprint work and things like that. But what, I guess just generally, does the next month or so of these voluntary workouts look for South Carolina? Um, and, and does it look different than the voluntary workouts – would have looked in years past? Yeah, I, I would imagine, um, and this really isn't something, I'll preface it, that I've specifically been told, but just from, um, you know, picking up some things here and there and just from my personal knowledge, I, you know, I think this is going to be a situation where there's a little bit more of a uh, reacclimation process just because, um, you know, one, one thing we've heard, I believe, from multiple coaches is that just a – a realistic expectation that, hey, these guys aren't going to all come back in, in perfectly good football shape. It, it's just impossible to expect that. And uh, the, the good thing about them being back already is that, you know, it, it's not the middle of July, which was sort of when all this started, that, that was the date that Will Muschamp sort of threw out there, you know, hey, it's, it's going to take eight weeks. That's four weeks of, of training and then four weeks of actual football preparation to have any semblance of a successful football team on the field well guess what you you really can sort of look at june now as being that four weeks of, of reacclimation, and then you still have an entire month of july I, I think to sort of ramp things up and then uh, that would be before even you did preseason in, in august so uh you know i, I think it's going to be i would imagine very similar obviously from a uh protocol standpoint there's going to be a little more structure i would think as far as keeping guys maybe a little bit more separated there are protocols about the amount of space you need to have per player um, that are in a uh, facility at any one given time while they're working out so those protocols will be followed but from a just actual programming standpoint as far as what they're doing uh, i would imagine you're just trying to make sure everybody safely gets reacclimated while while also pushing them, you know, I think uh, there's a certain aspect of conditioning that's that's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be some hurting. Everybody, I mean, that goes throughout the entire population. Everybody that's sort of returning to the gym now from quarantine knows what that feels like, and it's probably about times ten for some of these players because they're being pushed to a, a limit that the rest of us aren't. But yeah, I, I would imagine. Lots of that sprint work, lots of conditioning, but but trying to build back strength is a part of it too. Because you know, it's statistically proven you the second you know you stop lifting within you know a, a couple of weeks, you you start to to lose some strength. So that will be a big part of it as well. And the guys that have been able to keep up at home and maintain at home, those are the guys that are going to have a little bit of a leg up. Yeah, I think I'm about the same weight as when quarantine started, but I've definitely lost about five pounds of muscle and added five pounds of fat. So, uh, you know, fortunately, I don't have I don't have to get it back necessarily for the start of football season like these guys do. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not going to be fun once I do finally get back in the gym. As a quick yeah, aside, that's not West, the direction you're supposed to be going on trading <laughs> fat and, and muscle. <laughs> no, I know. Well, okay, so so it's that you know obviously there's the good and the bad. The good is I haven't like gained any weight exactly. I think it's just and I don't know that, you know, it's it's hard to say exactly, but I, I imagine 
the composition of my body has been altered slightly. You know, I got some dumbbells at home. I've been doing a little bit, but not consistently and not the kind of stuff that I was doing, you know, before. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's just what it feels like. Uh, have you gotten back into the gym or anything yet? Because I know you, you take a lot of uh, group classes, which I had started to do a little bit before quarantine started, too, and, and those are great. Um, but have you still just been working out at home, Wes? No, I uh, I've started going back. Okay, um, I went I went twice um, last week. I'm I'm sort of doing a mix right now. I mean, I used to do um, basically five classes a week, uh, sometimes six. I'm not quite sort of at that point. I'm going to do like two or three classes a week, then go running once a week, maybe do some stuff at home once a week, and and sort of just ease my way back in. But but yeah, it's. Um, you know, and even just uh, regular gyms, you know, there, there's protocols in place. Um, you know, I go to Move Fitness. It's uh, I'm taking classes, but it's uh, there's like X's on the floor. Mm. You have to um, stay spread out. You have to clean down your area after every like little. Uh, it basically it's separated up into rounds, like ten or twelve minute rounds. And after every round, if you've used a piece of equipment or a dumbbell or whatever kettlebell you have to wipe it down so uh yeah it's just um it, it's an adjustment for everybody uh chris i've had a lot of numbers thrown at me a lot of people have maybe you listening have retained it better than i have but can you just walk me through a, a vague outline a calendar of what's going to happen over the next couple months for south carolina because we know there's some voluntary workouts we know there's some talk of an ota style training camp obviously you know there is a i, I guess a sort of regular expected you know if everything goes according to plan if there's not like a massive outbreak on campus or anything like that then you imagine that the preseason camp would start in the beginning of august like it normally does but players will have already reported so i don't know how much that changes but what's your understanding of the general calendar right now for the football team well you know those are really the two things that we know you know we know that the june 1st date and we know the june 8th sort of reopening of the facilities in general date and Beyond that, you know, the, the next two biggest questions are, okay, what about sort of the preparations in earnest, if you want to call it that, for the season? Although, obviously, what's going on right now is very important. This is voluntary stuff, you know, so far in terms of the workouts, which is not – look, that's not atypical. That's that's what's going on at this time of summer anyway. Right, and, and it's but, also not exactly voluntary, it, right? Well, I mean, that that's always the joke. It's, and, uh, it's voluntary <laughs> unless you want to play. <laughs> right, right. And look – it, that is a good point, and I, I will also say that if you have not been working out this summer, that generally shows up, you know, later when you get to training camp. I mean, you, you can tell who's been working out and who hasn't, and uh, I think colleges generally have their finger on the pulse of that anyway, but by, by rules, voluntary. Um, and, and, but I think the, the two biggest questions are this. Number one, recruiting calendar, what are they going to do with that? But that's not really what we're focused on today. No, number two, you know, how are they going to prepare? And so – you know, we've heard the models still going around, you know, about a particular amount of, you know, team workouts plus, you know, an OTA type thing plus training camp. And, and you know, the presumption is that training camp won't be a month long this year, you know, like it typically is. But we just don't know that yet. And I really don't know when we'll have a better sense. I think it's, it's again, it's touch and go. And so everybody's going to continue going through it and, uh, you know, just sort of take it as it comes. And I think, you know, after a couple or a few weeks of, of team workouts, the voluntary stuff, you know, maybe they have a better sense. But I haven't heard an updated timeline as to when they'll release all that. So all that's still completely up in the air. But is is there a maximum number of practices that they are allowed to have, like with the spring? 
With which, which with the new models, you mean? Well, no, I mean just in general. Like you're obviously only allowed to have 15 spring practices. Yeah. One of those is you know kind of the, the quote unquote spring game. But in terms of the fall camp, like it, could they go through voluntary workouts and then decide in July they want to start training camp, or could they you know wait until the middle of August to do training camp and have the rest of it be again like this this OTA style <laughs> workout that we're hearing about? Or are there any regulations in place, or is it all just going to be we'll wait and see? Yeah, I think, it, well, for right now, it's all wait and see because, you know, you sort of throw it out the window right now. I mean, um, you know, what you typically have is you have a, a calendar, you know, in the bylaws of, of certain things and in the count, cal- you know, within the rules of what you can do and when you can do it and how much of it you can do. Um, you know, just as far as players can do a certain amount of things a week, et cetera, certain number of hours countable, you know, athletic activities, and then they can do this on their own. There's a certain amount of film. I think right now you sort of throw that out, and they're running all these different models. You know, I highly doubt they would transition from voluntary workouts in the month of June and then say, all right, training camp for a month or two months. You know, I think it's going to be, you know, some combo of a team workout thing and then leading into some type of practice. Will some of that be sort of dialed down a bit to an OTA style thing leading into training camp? Maybe so. I mean, that, that's what a lot of the models are that have been floated behind the scenes, but we just don't have a great sense quite yet of what they're going to, you know, finalize. Well, as soon as we get a clearer picture, or I should say as soon as you two get a clearer picture, you'll have it on your Twitter feeds on GamecockCentral.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Uh, Wes and Chris, again, great followers on Twitter at GC Chris Clark and at Wes Mitchell GC. I got that down. I used to mix it up all the time, but that's it. And, of course, read everything they do on GamecockCentral.com. Whatever updates we get, uh, Wes and Chris will have it up on the website before we get a chance to talk about it on the podcast. But, of course, we can be expansive on the podcast and we can you know, cut up and do things like that. So please keep tuning into the podcast as well. Rate, review, and subscribe uh, to that because it's free and it's just a great way to support it. Um, all right, as we move from one version of talking about football abstractly to another uh thank you wes and chris for both putting up a mailbag thread on the insiders forum on gamecockcentral.com by the way another reason you should subscribe to gamecockcentral.com so that when we do these mailbag threads you can get your questions in there because this is the insiders forum and you do have to be an insider and uh i guess just to make up for not doing this a lot in the last couple weeks like i said y'all both both posted threads and i got a lot of good questions from both of them we will start Uh, with Chris's thread, and we'll start with Flatwood Cock. Hey, Chris, during Spurrier's last few years, other schools were using his age as a way to give recruits something to think about or lean towards their school, but it doesn't seem to affect Mac Brown at North Carolina. Interesting. Uh, Flatwood Cock, that's not exactly a question, but I appreciate the prompt. Chris, are people just not negative recruiting Mac Brown that way, or has he mastered the counterpunch to, hey, he's old, don't go there? Well, here's there's a there's a key difference there, and the key difference for Spurrier. I mean, look, when Spurrier got to South Carolina, he was not, you know, extremely young, right? And at so at the outset of when Spurrier got to South Carolina, you know, you heard the typical things, you know, that you hear about South Carolina on the recruiting trail, and then you heard, you know, he won't be there long, et cetera. And you got to remember Spurrier's first few years, they definitely did some good things, you know, beat Tennessee and Nayland, beat Florida. You know, they they did some good things, but it's not like they were tearing it up. They they weren't on that run that they had from 2010 to 2013 yet, and so you started to hear a lot of that stuff. You know, he's going to go take another job. He's not. He's he's getting older. Whatever. Towards the end, the, the what killed South Carolina was not even Spurrier's age. It was 
you know, the, the product slipped a little bit, and then you had the two to three years comment. That was the killer, and that was when people pounced. With Mac Brown, a lot of people, and I'll include myself in this, were wondering, is this, is this going to work at North Carolina? So the, the key for them last year was the fact that they, you know, he hired a staff full of recruiters. He's really honed in, and which he's always done on, on trying to recruit. You know, he's really focused on that. But they actually had a solid year last year, you know, beating South Carolina in game one and then going on and having a much better than expected year gave them some traction to sign, you know, a pretty quality class last year and then go out and establish some momentum. Had they gone out and won three games last year or something, then all it is is an older coach who's not winning. So it was important for them to go out and win early. You know, does it come up at some point? Probably so. Um, but I think that there's a couple key differences there that, that sort of highlight the contrast to me. It's a good answer. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, if you look, he uh, they they have some momentum right now. And yeah. they're, um, you know, they're sort of selling that, hey, Max re-energized and uh, Max not going anywhere and, and all this stuff. And they're uh, the funny thing is, you know, they're they're probably – maybe negative recruiting against some other schools right now because they've, uh, you know, they've got it going on over there. And I, I think you have, you always, I believe, have a little bit of a boost in recruiting when there's a new staff because um haven't really lost many games yet. You know, every, every staff, there's a honeymoon period where you're selling hope because um, you haven't been exposed yet. And uh, that, that can go for, for almost any staff. And I'm not saying those guys are going to get exposed. I'm just saying in general. Uh, so, yeah, they, they've got a, a group full of recruiters. It, it's really a combination of a lot of things. The group full of recruiters, it's a very talented in-state class in North Carolina. Uh, Mac has longstanding relationships in that state that date back to when he was an assistant, you know, in North Carolina. And, um, you know, frankly, what thing I've heard, when they got in – they really prioritized um, this 2021 class, which they were juniors when Frank and, or excuse me, when Mac and those guys got in. So when they went ahead and prioritized this junior class last year, it, it's paying off uh, for them right now as the kids are becoming seniors. Thanks for that prompt, Plotwoodcock. That was a good one. Uh, next from Sir Spur one two two one six. He says, I know Joe Cox became the wide receiver coach late in the 2020 season, but do you think he can be a good slash elite level recruiter and bring in some top talent going forward in 2021 and beyond? And uh, I will add to Sir Spur's question here, just a, a kind of a personal curiosity and a bigger picture question related to what he's asking. How did each of you, Chris and then Wes, assess young recruiters? Because y'all talk to a lot of people, y'all know a lot of people, how do you know and how do you predict? Because it seems like you know when it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I talked to this guy. You know, Right now he's a, he's a low-level assistant at a, a group of five school, but I think he's going to be a really good coach. I think he's going to be a really good recruiter. What are kind of the things that you look for, and does Joe Cox have some of those characteristics, Chris? Well, I, I think the, the, there's two main things. Number one, you look at who he's landed, right? And, and that can be deceiving. Um, and I'll go into that in one second why I think that. And then number two – I think you talk to people about him, you know, who know him, whether it's prospects, high school coaches, just other people in the industry, um, and try to get a sense of, of what type of recruiter he is. So 
the first part of just who he landed, you know, I think in some cases we've seen guys, you know, have tremendous success recruiting somewhere like Alabama or whatever, and then they get to South Carolina and you go, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's like the the Travolta gift where he was walking into a room and like looking around, like, where, where's all the recruits, you know? And, and so like that, th- there is some of that, but I think you have to keep in mind, you know, where people are at in the circumstances. Like South Carolina's recruiting class this year is probably not going to be as highly ranked. And there's a lot of factors in that. So, you know, if Joe Cox doesn't sign five, four-star wide receivers this year, you don't go, oh, he's not a good recruiter. You know, um, th- there's it's a complex thing. Secondly, I think you look at just talking to different people. And so sometimes you can take a look at a guy and what he does on social media. You talk to prospects, and if a lot of them bring up, hey, I have the best relationship with this coach, or this coach is doing a really good job recruiting me, you talk to high school coaches and say, hey, I'm really impressed by this guy. You know, what's his reputation in the industry? I mean, and I've heard a lot of that about Joe Cox. So Joe's a good recruiter. He's going to be a good recruiter. You know, it's all about building relationships. How can you connect with kids and their families? And so um, I, I do think Cox has a lot of potential in that regard, just based on what we've heard. And, and I think you have to go off what you hear from, from some people that you trust on the matter. All right. JMH1395 says, who is going to be the number three Receiver, in my mind, someone is going to break out between Carrion, Terrell, Van, Ortre, Johnson, Davis. I think Smith and Leggett are one and two. Um, Wes, maybe a, a more apt question is who's going to break out as the number one receiver right now for South Carolina because I guess it's going to be Shy Smith, but that doesn't necessarily inspire a lot of confidence in me personally. But I, I guess you can answer JMH1395's question first. Yeah, who would be the number three? My my initial instinct was all right. Who's going to be the number two receiver at least? Um, I, I do. I think Shy um, has the ability to be the number one guy. And and you know, I I really I think sometimes when guys are sort of just slotted as, hey, you're you're the number three guy, which is was the case two years ago if you're Shy Smith, or hey, you're the you're the second option, which was the case last year if you're Shy Smith. Uh, you, you sort of fall in line to that expectation and then when you're expected to be the guy we, we've seen time and time again South Carolina over the years has had wide receivers step up when it was their time to be the dude um, I, I think you know I go all the way back to watching shy at, at South Carolina's camp when this staff first arrived and just his dominant performances out there to some of the things I've heard about what he's done in practice have we seen him become a dominant receiver on the field on game days yet? No, but I still think that's in there. I think now with the opportunity to be the guy, um, you know, he, he can step into that role. Like, I think it's – I won't say it's wishful thinking because it's certainly a possibility he steps in as, as the number two guy and is a, a solid just um, go-getter, playmaker type for them. I, I don't think that's – known yet i don't think that's decided yet i think that's the hope um you know that we're, i'd say that's probably best case scenario is that shy smith just rolls into that number one spot and then Leggett has a great off season and uh is sort of the, the guy and then I, I think once you start if those two things happen then really like he said there's there's any number of options for the third spot uh, to carry on joiner showed some some really impressive i thought just natural instinctive ability at receiver considering he hasn't played the spot, you know, last year. Does Ortre Smith come back 100% and healthy and, and sort of finally be able to 
build off some of the things he did as a true freshman. Uh, Josh Van is someone that a lot of people have given up on, but I, I think that's still a little premature. Um, you know, th- there there's a lot of guys. Rodriguez Davis is like the most forgotten guy on the entire team, I, I think, and, and showed some good things as a freshman way back, uh, you know, in year one of the staff. So there, there are options there. I know I'm avoiding his question, but um, my, my guess, if you sort of say shy is one and that uh, Leggett is two, I, I don't know. I, me personally, I kind of maybe lean to the carry-on potentially being the, the third guy, but that's just uh, that's just my guess and my instinct right now. That surprises me a little bit because you are, in fact, Wes Mitchell noted Josh Van Believer, um, which is great. And I mean, there there are lots of reasons to believe that he could come out of uh, you know come out out of the uh, the other side of what was, I guess we can best chalk up as a sophomore slump. And obviously, the season ended with injury for him, and expect him to return a little bit more to kind of what people expected out of him coming out of high school and the few flashes that he showed his freshman year as well. But you're going with carry on. Um, Chris, I'll, I'll throw the same question at you, and, and you can just go. I mean, even if you think – maybe you think Xavier's going to be number three and one of these guys will be a number two, but what do you think is the one, two, three pecking order at the end of the 2020 South Carolina football season? Yeah, I, I do think you have to go with, you know, the top two guys, some form of, of Xavier Leggett and Shai Smith. And, you know, another question to me is, you know, what do you – what do you sort of count as that number one guy? Because I don't know if there's going to be one guy that has, you know, 30 or 40 more catches than the second guy. Maybe, maybe. Uh, that'd be sort of tough to project. So is it sort of your touchdown leaders, your receptions leader? I think most people normally think of the receptions leader in those terms. But I would probably go with those two at number two. And number three, you know, I think Wes's pick is pretty good. Um I'm I'm still I'm still going to go with Josh Van. I am just because, um, and that's really that really gets people upset sometimes because of the struggle he had last year. But I still am a believer in his upside and his potential, and I think he's he's shown flashes of that his first couple seasons. And I think if he if he can become more consistent, the thing is he has the talent to do that because we've seen it in high school. We've even seen flashes in college. So I, I think it's. It's sort of really a toss-up grab bag type thing for me, but I'd still go with Josh if I had to make a projection. That's all it is. Owings WJ has a two-part question here. We will start the first part with Chris. What type of season slash contribution do you think Zach Pickens will have this year? Do you think he could have an all-SEC type season? Good good question. Um, you know, I, I do know this. They're counting on Pickens a lot. Um, you know, year one, he was a five-star, and that gave people, I think, unrealistic expectations at times. But he still was able to play some for a defensive line that was pretty good. He was transitioning to being an inside player. He's still working himself into, you know, the type of shape and the type of, you know, skill set that you got to have in there. Um, but he got his feet wet a little. All SEC, you know, first team type of expectations a little rich for me you know in year two um, I think he could end up being a guy that you know is maybe like a a lower you know second third team type all conference would I think be you know a significant achievement for him because there's gonna be a lot of good players in the SEC you know I mean you you think about you you pick out guys and say man that, that guy's a really really good player you know he he may be third team SEC you know in a given year so um 
but I think he's going to play a lot. Obviously, his role is going to increase. You know, will he will he even be a, a starter for sure? We, we got to figure that out. You know, because you look up front and some of the guys they've got. I think he's certainly got a really good chance to be, but I don't know if it's a lock. And you know, how do they play him and Rick Sandage together? They play the same position sometimes. Um, but I, I expect him to have have a good, solid season in year two. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's good if he's not an All SEC player by the end of the season. That would be incredible if he is. Uh, rather, I'm not saying it's it's not better if he's not. But if he's not, I mean, given what we know about the the depth that South Carolina has with the defensive line, I think it could be a very realistic scenario that they have like six or seven guys that they're very comfortable with all those guys playing about 60 snaps a game. And it's a matter of everybody staying fresh and maybe no one person dominating statistically or grabbing all the accolades, but it ends up just being like an incredibly solid group. It would probably be like my my more honest prediction for what kind of year uh, that group and then I guess subsequently the, the the individual guys that comprise that group are, are going to end up having. Uh, Wes, unless you want to follow up on uh, Chris's answer to number one, I will throw number two from Owings WJ at you. He says, outside of Marshawn Lloyd, what incoming freshman do you expect to make the biggest contribution on offense? Whew. Um, great question. You know, I think uh, as I buy myself some time here, um, the most one of the most interesting things that came out this spring, at least for me, was when Bobo was asked about the offensive identity, and he said, hey, you know, these, these freshmen are really going to shape the identity of the offense. And um, for, for me, you know, generally coaches sort of downplay almost, um, you know, the impact of true freshmen early on. They want them to earn it, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But for him to basically say, hey, the way our offense looks, could could really be determined by how well these freshmen adapt and, and how ready they are to play. Um, I think that all the incoming sort of skill guys, uh, you know, your receivers and tight ends are, are going to have a chance. Um, I would say Rico Powers. I would say Jakari Caldwell, Jaheim Bell, Eric Shaw, um, all four of those guys are, are going to have a chance to come in and play and, and potentially play a lot. Um, I, I, I kind of, and it may be, be some, it may be some recency bias because I just talked to the kid a couple of days ago, but I, I just have a feeling Jaheim Bell is going to just be a guy that, that they can't keep off the field. Mm. Uh, you know, is he, is he a big wide receiver? Is he a tight end? Um, does it matter really what you call him? Um, you know, he, he said that the coaches told him he's going to spend some time in the wide receiver and the tight end room, that he's going to spend some time doing both. Uh, I think So he might be the answer early. to the other question about number three receiving option. Could, could be, man. And I, I think, um, you know, I know that the poster was specifically talking about wide receivers, but if we're going to talk about receiving threat um, – that Nick Muse is probably the number two or three mm-hmm. receiving threat, uh, I think, within this offense. But, but yeah, I, I rewatched Jaheim's Bell, Jaheim Bell's film um, from his senior year, and the guy just has a knack for making plays. I mean, you're talking about someone that most people see as a tight end, but was uh, was returning kicks. Mm. I mean, you, you just don't really see that athleticism at that position. Um, but uh, the, the sort of cop out answer is that all four of those guys I mentioned are going to have a chance. 
they specifically, I know for a fact, they told Jakari Caldwell and Rico Powers, like, be be ready. You're you're gonna have a chance to play. I like both those guys, but um, if you sort of said, hey, give me one guy, it's complete gut feeling. I just got a feeling that Jaheim Bell just just has that playmaker vibe to him for me. All right, well, let me throw a wrench in there and see if this changes your answer. What if instead of incoming freshmen, we just say that anybody that's new to the South Carolina football team, including transfers, uh, including JUCO guys, who do you think then will make the biggest contribution on offense this year? I still, I, I still probably go the same direction. Just because if, if Zaquandre White was already on campus, already getting on campus, that that would change my answer. But I just think um, the uncertainty there, the fact that um, I, 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 we, we saw it with a guy in Tavian Feaster who had played three years at a you know premier college football program, still had an adjustment coming in late and getting back into football shape and learning the playbook and all those things. Um, Zaquandre White coming in from JUCO, uh, you know, having to get back in football shape, having to sort of learn the scheme as well. Uh, I'm really high on him as a player. And, and you know what? If, if he's just too good to, to keep off the field, then all that other stuff, they'll, they'll find a way to, you know, to get him out there. But um, to me, just from a percentage standpoint, that that sort of lowers the chances that Zaquandre White just comes right in and and starts pushing, uh, you know, the other guys for for the number two or even the starting spot. Which I I think if he had come in in the spring, then you know he and Marshawn Lloyd are probably battling it out for number one. So you're not going with Colin Hill or Adam Prentice, and I, I was sort of trying to bait you into picking one of those two guys. Oh yeah, I, I thought you were baiting me into Zaquandre. Um, <laughs> But uh, well, you know, Prentice, Prentice is going to be the guy that makes a big impact, but nobody really talks about. Right. You know, I, I don't think he's going to be catching a ton of passes. I don't think he'll be uh, running the football, but uh, we'll be doing the dirty work, uh, you know, up front. All right. Well, that's sort of related to our, our next question. Uh, we may have time for one more after this, uh, but our next question is, is a lot to unpack. This is from Seven Plagius Seven Cock Seven, uh, Chris. How talented can this group of tight ends actually be for USC? Wes touched on that a little bit. Also, how important are the tight ends to Bobo in his offensive scheme as offensive coordinator? How many different ways can they be used in uh, his system? And the same question about fullback or H-back, and is this possibly the most talent ever at quarterback, tight end, and running back? I can't remember a time when all three positions were this deep with talent, both combined as a team in a season or individually at each position. Um, can you think of another time when the running back position was uh, this deep with potential talent uh, as a group in a season? Same question for quarterback and tight end. Um, I, I guess we'll, we'll go in order here. Tackle the first part. How, how talented can this group of tight ends be, and how important are tight ends to what Mike Bobo wants to do? Tight end, just combine tight ends, fullbacks, H-backs into just sort of one like big tweener, too big to be a wide receiver, too small to be an offensive lineman. Well, I think the group can be really talented on the whole. Um, there's there's no doubt when you look at like what's on the roster athletically, it's really good. The biggest question is just will those guys develop as they could and then experience? You know, so right now it's hard to say, well, this is the best tight end group b- because there's that unknown. From a talent perspective, it, it certainly could be because I think there's, you know, I think Nick Muse is a future NFL guy. I think, you know, Eric Shaw and Jaheim Bell are potential future NFL guys. And even, 
you know, Keyshawn Tony, Trey Kenyon, I, I like what some of those guys bring to the table. But the, the issue is they just haven't played a ton. Um, and even Nick Beasley only saw one year, part of one year of what he could do at South Carolina. So um, the tight ends are important with what Bobo does. Um, he plays them in line some. He obviously can – a guy like Prentice, he can play him as like an H-back or as a fullback. He plays those guys in the slot sometimes. Like I, I think back to when Bobo had – you know, like a guy like Aaron White and then a guy like Orson Charles at the same time at Georgia, you know, he could put them on the line, both of them. He could split them out, play them in the slot, and it, and it could make it tough for a defense to figure out, you know, wh- what is this guy? You know, what where is he playing? You could shift him around. Um, so it's pretty important. I mean, he'll, he'll utilize those guys a lot because, you know, like we've said, he'll utilize sort of a flex type or an inline type and he does high formation he does four wide looks and he can deploy one or two of those guys in the slot and as far as the talent at those positions obviously he singles out quarterback tight end and uh, running back wide receiver a little bit of a question mark and we got into that a little bit at tight end and running back you can play a bunch of guys there you know you can play carolina ran a lot of uh what is it Let's see, RST. Ran a lot of 12 personnel. I know that because it's alphabetical. R first, then T. Ran a lot of 12 personnel last year when they were healthy enough to do so. I imagine they will do that. And you mentioned a guy like Jaheim Bell. Jaheim Bell. Not, it's not Jaheim. It's Jaheim because it's an H, right? Yep. Okay. Yes. A guy like Jaheim Bell, you can put him on the field probably with a couple other tight ends and let him do some other things. So Carolina could mm-hmm. feasibly have two or three tight ends on the field at the same time, which would be great because there is, you know, there's talent. There's a lot of options and there's a diversity and skill sets there as well uh, that could be important. With the running backs, you can really only have two of those guys on the field at the same time realistically, but as we saw last year, it's good just for whoever's in front, for whoever's getting those number one carries to have a lot of other guys there pushing them in practice and training camp to have options so that you don't have to have one guy having 30 carries a game uh, so that if somebody gets hurt, even if it's just for a week, you have somebody able to, to step in with quarterback it's a little bit different it's still good to have that competitive depth in practice and preseason and things like that to be pushing whoever's number one and undoubtedly there is a lot of talent in that quarterback room with Ryan Holinsky obviously Luke Doty coming in and I think making waves in a little bit of the offseason that South Carolina has had so far just in terms of his leadership ability and you know physicality and all those things and of course you bring in someone in Colin Hill who's played a lot of college football who is the most familiar with Mike Bobo's offense of anybody other than Adam Prentice on the team right now and that will certainly be an advantage for him as they all start to learn this new offense I guess the first part is when can you remember the last time that all three of these position groups were this talented and two you know I like I said I think it is a good it's good for tight ends and running backs. It's not bad for quarterbacks, but how much of a difference does it make to have all those guys in the quarterback room, Wes? Um, let, let me answer the other question first I because uh, I got it on right on my brain. Um, th- don't get me wrong. there There's a lot of talent in these groups, but um, I, I, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit by declaring you know the most talent since you know, when, whenever, I mean, I, I look back, uh, I mean, let's talk tight ends. Uh, not that long ago. I mean, you had, I was trying to think of the overlap on, on some of these guys, Jarrell Adams, Busta Anderson, uh, Justice Cunningham, you know, that, that run of tight ends there, then that gets followed up, um, you know, obviously by Hayden Hurst coming in and doing what he did at that position. I mean, running backs, you look, there was a time, when, you know, Marcus Lattimore, um, 
Kenny Miles, who was sort of, you know, never really put in the same conversation, obviously, with Marcus, but was like a solid backup guy. Um, a young Mike Davis and a young Brandon Wilds were all, um, you know, available in, in the same backfield. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of potential at these position groups, but I, I do think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves um, as far as to talk about is this the most talented group. Uh, as far as having actually gone out and done it, uh, no, I, I wouldn't say it is at all. Uh, you know, even quarterbacks, we, we saw – South Carolina go from, you know, if you want to just talk about on paper, uh, Stephen Garcia, you know, comes in, plays a bunch, but then, you know, gives way to Connor Shaw, who, um, you know, then gives way to, to Dylan Thompson. I mean, how, how many how many schools had a backup like Dylan Thompson mm. who could come in at any point and be not just a veteran presence, but go make big time throws for you, and then ultimately as a senior ends up breaking the single-season, you know, passing record. So uh, I, I know I know the poster is trying to, you know, give some positivity, and I think it's warranted. There, there are talent, There's talent to work with at those positions. But realistically, um, I, I, don't, I, I think that's sort of a, an unintended shot at some of the guys that were here during that run of, of really, really good play because it, there, there were talented guys. Uh, but there was also depth at, at those positions, and that, that's part of the reason why South Carolina was so good. Uh, you know, when, when Marcus Highmore went down, some guys stepped up in his absence. When Connor Shaw was banged up, Dylan Thompson stepped up in his absence. So um, the tight ends were able to sort of have two guys that could go make plays for you. So um, that, I think that's the goal is to get back to that point. Could it play out that way? Yes, but I don't, I don't think it's there yet. I'm putting on the spot here, and I'm not asking as, as like a trick or anything. I really have no idea. I couldn't even begin to guess what the number is. But how many guys, I, I don't know when the Elite 11 camp started, but how many Elite 11 guys has South Carolina had on its team ever? Oh, good. Any given, one given time? Or no, I, I mean, did, is it it's like one? Like Connor Shaw wasn't an Elite 11 guy. I don't think Dylan Thompson was. You know, Connor Mitch may have been because I know he was, you know, highly regarded coming out of high school, right? Like, there, there's some random ones in there. I'm just trying to get an idea because to have two of them, you know, jockeying for position, and I, I think there's some people that are close to the team that think Colin Hill is really going to be in the mix. I, I'm not I'm not refuting you because, obviously, you're exactly right. All those guys have to go out there and prove themselves, and right now I think most Carolina fans would rather have Connor Shaw, would rather have Steven Garcia, would rather have Dylan Thompson as the presumptive starting quarterback just because, for now, those are all known commodities, and right now Carolina is largely dealing with unknowns at the quarterback position but just in terms of the talent I'm wondering if if they've ever had two elite 11 guys in the quarterback room really duking it out for supremacy before do you, do you know Chris I mean uh, Brandon McElwain yeah. was an elite guy and um but uh, let's see with with Jake graduating early did that keep him from being able to go to elite 11 I'm trying to think of the timing. Of yeah, my, that my been. answer is I, I can't come up with it. We'd have to, Pearson, you dropped the question that we'd have to go back and research. Wes and I try to stay on our P's and Q's, but the number of Elite 11 quarterbacks at one time, all time, is not one that I, that I have off the top of my head. Yeah, sorry, I, I put you on the spot <laughs> with that one. But, I mean, do, do you, is the number well, – when was Elite 11 established? Has that been around since the 80s, or is that a relatively new thing? 
No, I don't think it's been around. Uh, it's newer. Yeah. Okay, so that has long. Carolina had like five of those guys ever? Have they had twenty five of those guys? I, I don't need to know an exact number, but just kind of like ballpark it. It's, it's lower than yeah. It's lower than a than a twenty five number. Okay, so they've yeah. probably had like yeah. ten or fewer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would say. So. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah. So the fact that they have that well, again, and, like, and then you have um, okay. a, a lot of times people people will say, sometimes you get called an elite eleven quarterback if you get invited to the elite eleven, as which opposed is to, to being one of the like finalists or whatever. One of the final elite eleven. Yeah, okay. there's the elite eleven con, you know, competition, which I think in general has about twice that. Um, so. You know, the, the carry on Joyner got invited to the Elite 11 finals. Um, so, you you know, but then after you go through that process, you know, you're, they whittle it down and they give a true, hey, here's based on what they did at this competition, here are what we believe are the actual top 11 quarterbacks in, in the country. So, um, you know, that that's sort of a distinction there that, that kind of gets – sort of muddies the water a little bit as well. Okay. All right. Well, the the only reason I bring that up is just to contextualize that, you know, again, Luke Doty could turn out to be a bust, and Ryan Holinsky could turn out to be a bust. I don't think that's going to be the case, at least not for both of those guys, um, but it is, I, I think, at least a, a good sign and reason for optimism, which, as you pointed out, Wes, seems to be kind of the the, the guiding principle, uh, or the, at least the the consistent theme throughout uh, this post from, again, seven, Plages seven, Cox seven. Uh, it's, it's just hard to say that, um, but we do appreciate the question. Um, and thanks to everyone that posted a question on the thread. We only got two questions from Chris's thread today, so maybe we can revisit a couple uh, that were on Wes's thread and a little bit of a mailbag if we decide to do that again next week. Uh, stay tuned to the Insiders Forum on GameCockCentral.com just in case we put one of those up. We probably will because next week, like I said, we'll have a little bit of a clearer picture of what these voluntary workouts look like What's the composition of the team? Do any players have COVID-19? What's happening with the players that do test positive as players continue to trickle back into campus? And uh, whatever else we've heard from coaches, from players from around the team, uh, just regarding the return to campus. So we'll do that. We'll have a little bit of a mailbag. I guess one of these days we're going to get to this Tales to the Trail thing that I just am just going to keep teasing in perpetuity. But one day we will have little enough football to talk about that we will have a chance to get to it. But thank you all so much for listening today. Again, thank you so much uh, for all of your questions on Gamecock Central. Subscribe to GamecockCentral.com so that you can get all the updates before uh, the Wednesday pod and subscribe to the Wednesday pod and everything on the Gamecock Central podcast network so that you can listen to us cut up and listen to me put Wes and Chris on the spot for you know really unfair, tough questions about really specific things. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.